like to ask that you take the word of the Lord this morning and open it to the book of Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, our text for this morning is verse, verses 1 to 12 of Ruth chapter 4. As we're coming to the end of this book, Lord willing, next week we will wrap it up. Ruth chapter 4. This morning, though, we're looking at verse, verses 1 to 12. I'd like to ask that if you are able, that you would stand out of reverence for the reading of the Word of God Almighty. From the book of Ruth, we'll begin in verse 1 and read down to verse number 12. Let us hear what the Word of the Lord says in this book. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell, tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi... You also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we ask now that you would speak to us from your word. We know these are your holy inspired words. And so Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit 
would take your words and teach us your truth. Father, through the Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you this morning from your word as we trust in you, as we come to your word to hear you speak to us. Father, we pray that you would build us up, that you would draw each and every one of us to Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, the one who gave himself to set us free. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts from your word this morning. It's in the name of our great Savior we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Redemption is a concept that we see uh, and have seen throughout the book of Ruth in these last number of weeks in our study through this book. Naomi was the first to mention, quote, a redeemer in relation to Boaz. And redemption, as we sort of zoom out for just a moment from the book of Ruth, we know that redemption is a very biblical concept. God redeemed his people from Egypt. When God was speaking to Moses as they were down in Egypt, he told him this. This is Exodus 6, 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Further along in the Old Testament, Isaiah spoke to the children of Israel about their God and he said this, Isaiah 41, 14, fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. God redeemed his people from exile in Babylon and as many other instances. But as we continue on to the New Testament, we see that God sent Jesus, the Christ, to redeem his people from their bondage to sin. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, in Scripture, God is a God who redeems. God is a God who saves involved with this uh, verbiage and idea of redemption is doing something for someone that they cannot do for themselves. It is, it is providing a salvation, if you will, and, and the idea and concept of redemption is actually uh, a, a purchase or a giving at great cost to someone to set somebody free, to redeem them. You see, we're told over and over in scriptures that we are dead in trespasses and sins and if we could save ourselves from our sin, we would not need redeemed. We would not need a redeemer. 
But in the book of Ruth, especially in our passage today, we see this concept of redemption. And what we're going to see in the passage today is kind of, if we could say, a little r redemption, a little r redemption that gives us a glimpse and a picture of the big R, capital R, redemption and redeemer, Jesus Christ. So Boaz is the one in our passage that's going to give us this picture of redemption to see what it looks like. We've seen over and over in this book the type of person that Boaz was. He was a worthy man, as chapter two, verse one told us. His actions that he has performed in this book have been worthy actions. They're the actions of a man of grace, someone who had been touched by the grace of God and someone who showed and gave that same grace to others that he came in contact with. Last week, we saw how Boaz acted so kindly, how Boaz acted so full of grace to Ruth when she came to him on that night at the threshing floor. From last week's passage, did did it hit, hit you how quickly Boaz responded to Ruth's request in the middle of the night? Boaz, as you know, had put in a hard day's work before that. Uh, we saw that he had been working at the threshing floor. He had he'd been working during that time. He ate a good meal. He probably had a very good glass of wine and he fell to sleep on this uh, stack off under the stars and he woke up in the middle of the night with a woman laying at his feet. And Ruth requests to him basically for marriage and so quickly he said this in verse number 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You ever been woken up in the middle of the night? Right, you're dead asleep. Something wakes you up. And and you're there. I know that when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm usually trying to say, what day is it? Where am I? What's going on? And it's gonna take a little while just to see what's taking place. But here is Boaz being woken up in the middle of the night and he gives this statement. May God bless you. You've made this last uh, kindness uh, more than the first in what you have done. You've not gone after uh, younger men, but you have sought after faithfulness to God. He's just saying this right when he woke up in the middle of the night. My point in all of this is just to say, probably in my estimation, this isn't the first time Boaz had thought through these things. I don't think this took him off guard, so to speak. He had most likely been thinking about this with Ruth. He knew, it seems like, exactly what he was going to do if he did it. He was just one of those super quick thinkers that could wake up and solve the problem stat. So we see from this last passage, they both departed from the threshing floor before the sun came up. Ruth went to Naomi's and Boaz was off to the city gate. So even before the sun had risen, uh, she lay there with him uh, until this time. Then they got up. She went her way. He went his. And that's where we pick up this morning. And the passage we're looking at breaks down into three main scenes. First, Boaz goes and convenes a meeting with the elders. Second, Boaz secures the redemption. And third, the elders bless the marriage. And so let's begin at that first Point, Boaz convenes the meeting, verse number one and two. The first part of chapter four, verse one says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down. 
You see, a gate was the main entrance to the city, and cities in the ancient Near East were surrounded by walls and would have just a few gates to enter into the city. And just inside these walls would be uh, maybe something we could think of as like benches where one could sit down. And by Boaz coming and sitting down on the benches, he was saying he had official business to take care of. He had official business to carry out. And so this is where the elders would come of the city. They would sit down and they would make these sort of decisions on legal matters, on various sorts of things. Maybe it's kind of like our county courthouse. And as he came and sat down, lo and behold, it just so happened that this man, the Redeemer, that Boaz had talked about, just so happened to come out of this gate uh, in this city, probably going out to work. And once again, we see that God is in control over every single event, even people coming and going out of the gate and the timing with which they do it. Second part of verse number one says there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. I wanna call your attention to how this man is referred to, how Boaz speaks to this guy uh, coming by. The ESV says friend here, a lot of with the other translations, but friend is not uh, the Hebrew word that is used here in this text. Uh, instead, the author of Ruth refers to this man in an odd way with a Hebrew phrase and words that mean absolutely nothing. Okay, it's kind of like if we think in English of hodgepodge, right? We think of that, oh, it's a hodgepodge of stuff or helter-skelter, uh, heebie-jeebies, right? We think of these words, they don't necessarily mean something, but they are conveying something and uh, they, they sort of rhyme. And that's the case here in this. He says, here comes Mr. Poloni Almoni. That's what that word means. And it means nothing, but you can hear the rhyme in it. And so I think what he's saying here, the best way to think through this is to say, here comes Mr. So-and-so. Here comes Mr. So-and-so. Why does this really matter? Well, we'll come back to it, but the author is drawing our attention to the fact that this man is not really worth remembering at all. The author doesn't even mention this nearer's redeemer, his name, because he's not worth remembering. He just calls him Mr. So-and-so, and then he's gonna be referred to as the redeemer throughout the rest of the passage. So Boaz comes, he calls this man, and as we're gonna see, he calls other elders, he convenes the meeting. Second, Boaz secures the redemption. Look at verse number three, he says there, then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know for there's no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. It's very difficult for us to uh, understand all of the customs that were taking place in chapter four. Uh, commentators go on and on and on about it. I won't go, try not to, go on and on and on about it. But it seems as though Elimelech uh, did not sell their land before he moved to Moab. Maybe he was planning on just staying there a little while and returning, as we saw in chapter number one when he took his family away. But the famine lasted a long time, 10 years. And now Naomi came back, this land was there. She had to sell it. She was a widow, she was poor. 
This would have been a very difficult decision for her. I imagine they had to gain money. And this is where the concept of a redeemer comes in. A redeemer is someone who would step in and again, do for you what you could not do for yourself. This redeemer would purchase the land from his own money and keep the land in the same family name. So as he's sitting there, here comes Mr. So-and-so, another relative of Elimelech, and Boaz offers the land to him to redeem it. And I think here's what Mr. So-and-so is thinking in his mind. I hit the jackpot. I will buy this land. I'll redeem it. I'm going to buy it from Naomi. I can provide for Naomi. She's an older widow. And when Naomi dies, I will inherit the land. I will look good in the community for doing such a noble task as being a redeemer and redeem the land. And then when she dies, I'm going to have more real estate, real estate that was hard to come across in the ancient Near East and in the time period of the Old Testament. So he says there, I will redeem it. Again, as he looks at the situation, there's, there's no one else, there's no other opportunity uh, for this land to be given. There's no son. It seems as though he's just purchasing the land from a widow. What a wonderful opportunity for him. And then comes verse number five. Then Boaz said in verse number five, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So he begins to get the picture. His plan in his head is not going to work out. Uh, now Boaz is speaking about Ruth. And an heir to Naomi to perpetuate or raise up descendants for Elimelech. This complicates things for our would-be redeemer. We see and we know in the concept of the Old Testament period, there's a thing called leveret marriage as outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, uh, we know if that, if we went back and looked at Deuteronomy 25, we would see that if there were brothers in a family and one of the brother's wives died and they did not have children, it was a responsibility through love right marriage of the other brother to take in, as it were, that wife and to raise up uh, an heir for his brother who had died. But we see that's not the case here because we're well removed uh, from that type of situation. So it seems like, this is one of those hard things to understand, it seems like that was probably just the custom in this time period. We're gonna see the whole sandal bit here in just a minute and how that had to be explained because that was a custom that even uh, uh, in, in the Old Testament they weren't uh, uh, regularly aware of and it had to be explained to them. It seems like that's what is taking place here. So uh, to what, oh, what's, what's Mr. So-and-so going to say to this new proposal? He comes very frankly, he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Turns out this redeemer was actually no redeemer at all. Why? Seems very clear that he cared more about his own inheritance than he did about the inheritance of somebody else. And he wasn't willing to pay the price for the redemption. Oh, he was willing to pay the money for the land because he knew the land would come back to him. 
But he wasn't willing to pay the price of raising up an heir that would then take this land and it would not be his land. You see, he was not like Boaz that we see in this passage, a picture of a worthy man. Well, he cared more for his own money and land than he did for this whole business of redemption. And so he surrenders his right of redemption. It continues on in verse number seven. Look at what the passage says there. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. So we're getting this commentary as it were already in the book. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So as they had this meeting there at the gate, Mr. So-and-so took off his sandal, which again seems like another ancient Near Eastern custom of showing that he's relinquishing his right to redeem the land. And the original audience of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament probably didn't know about this custom. Therefore, verse number seven sort of explains it to them of what is taking place. And boy, if they need some explaining, we really need some explaining of ancient Near Eastern history. So the taking off of the sandal and giving it to another was viewed as confirming a transaction and also a transaction of land, presumably, uh, because the sandal would be walking on the land and you're saying this land is not my land. This land is your land and you're giving it to him and it's a confirmation of buying it. Um, boy, I'd like to say, wouldn't it be neat if we could bring this one back uh, uh, into our current uh, settlement? We had our uh, three-year anniversary uh, for home buying this last week. And all I remember sort of about the process was signing my names more time that I had signed it than I was in like third grade of trying to write it, right? You're just writing, writing, writing. Oh, if I could have just taken a shoe uh, from the seller, say, I'll take that Nike, I'll take that sandal and we're good to go. That'll, that'll be it. Um, don't, don't have to ride this mound of paperwork. Say, I got the shoe. Here it is. We're good to go. Those of you that buy and flip homes, you could, you'd have like a shoe collection and, oh, you want the Nike. All right. Yeah, that's good. Not the Reebok. That's a, you don't want that property, right? You, I digress. I digress. But this is a, a custom in the time take off your shoe and attestation to what has been given. So Boaz, in the presence of everybody, he unslips his sandal. I don't know what you do with the other one. Why not give him two? But you, you take off a sandal, you give it to him, and he's saying he has purchased the field. And he formerly, in the presence of the community, acquired Ruth in marriage before all the elders. Indeed, Boaz was doing far more for Ruth than she had ever asked on that night at the, thre the threshing floor. Boy, what an example as we see in this passage of a godly man that Boaz was. 
This leads us right into the last section, verse 11 to 12. First of all, the elders confirmed legally what had just taken place with Boaz and the Redeemer. The first part of verse 11, all the people who sat at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The elders affirm this by putting their stamp of approval, uh, so to speak. In uh, ancient Hebrew, there is no word for yes. And so you simply repeat uh, what is being said. And so they said, witnesses. We, we are witnesses of this. This has taken place. Second, the elders have a blessing for this redemption. And it's a three-part blessing. First, they bless Ruth in verse number 11. And boy, do they get to blessing well beyond what they would have ever imagined. It says there, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. Ruth is not referred to here by name, but as the woman who is coming into your house. So that would be after a wedding ceremony, the woman was then taken into the house of the man. And the elders evoke the names of Rachel and Leah upon her. These were the wives of Jacob. The women, as you know from the Old Testament, along with their servants, Zilpah and Bilhah, who bore the 12 sons to be the 12 tribes of Israel to Jacob. This is an amazing blessing. They are saying, just as Rachel and Leah built up the house of Israel, so then we pray may Ruth build up the house of Boaz. So they bless Ruth. Second, they bless Boaz in the other part of verse number 11. They say, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Two parallel statements. They're asking for a prosperity, for a name to be called in Bethlehem from Boaz. They're asking for a lineage to come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and for Bethlehem to be renowned. Boy, how that is so pregnant in meaning. And even the reading of those words of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the one that we all, if you're reading scripture, you're like, how in the world do you say this name of this city, this little city? You'll recall your ears to that of what is coming and who will actually come out of Bethlehem and the blessing that God is going to use to bring about to his people. Oh, they'll be renowned all right. There will be a blessing all right. Third blessing is to bless the family as a whole in verse number 12. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So he brings up Tamar here, basically asking that the children would be uh, in the outworking of God. Obviously, as you know, the situation of, of Tamar, there are similarities between Ruth and Tamar. They were both women who were outsiders, married into the family under doubtful circumstances, lost their husband and had no child, but sought to secure children. But as you know, there's very much dissimilarities too. Ruth revealed her identity to Boaz. Tamar played a prostitute and concealed her identity. Ruth's way legitimate, Tamar's illegitimate. But the blessing is that Ruth, just like Tamar, would give birth to children who would have a very important role to play in God's plan. That's what they're saying. They're saying, may this child who is to come from you, may this child have an important role 
role to play in the future. And oh, again, as we're going to see in the following verses, how that role came about. So as we consider this passage here today, as we consider these verses, what is it that we are to take away from it? What bearing does any of this have upon our lives besides trying to bring about uh, the buying and selling of property with a shoe? Well, there are at least four things that we need to see from this passage. The first off is this. Once again, we see God's sovereign control. We have seen this all throughout the book of Ruth, over and over. And here it is again in our text before us, multiple ways. Verse number one, the text says, and behold, behold, consider this, behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken came by. Lo and behold, on that day, the day that all that happened that night, Boaz wasn't able to plan this out. Hey, let me get a meeting with you tomorrow morning. I've got some important business for us to cover. No, he went to the gate and here comes, lo and behold, here comes the guy. Here he comes walking by, just so happened, just so happened. Just so happened, Ruth came in to this field. We see that all throughout this book. It's teaching us God is in control and God uses these things for his ultimate purpose and glory. God uses everyday mundane events of this life to bring about his plan in our lives. The application is for us to take comfort in that. Take comfort in the fact that God is in control over the good and over the bad, over the highs, over the lows, over the easy, over the hard, and everything in between, God is in control, bringing about his good ultimate purposes. May we be a people who deep down in our lives and the foundations of who we are, understand Believe and confess God is in control of this chaos. God used the ancient custom of taking off a shoe and giving it to the other in a land purchase as a means by which to secure and bring about the savior of the world, Jesus. But just to say that God is always at work. God is always at work. Second, we see something in this passage and that is the great reversal, the great reversal. We see a pattern in scripture that those who seek to live for themselves, who look out for their own interest, who don't show care or concern for others, we, we see a pattern that those type of people actually end up losing out. This happens in the context of salvation of those who ultimately reject Christ and seek to live for what they think is best. We also see this happening in the life of a believer uh, of how disobedience to God's command causes one to lose out on certain blessings in their lives. Jesus framed the subject and he put it like this in Luke 9, 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is what Mr. So-and-so was about in his life. 
seeking after his own interest, seeking to save his life. What we see here is a picture of a man that was after a prophet period, who was after a sort of life of what's in it for me? What's in it for me? This man was not interested in serving others. You see, he was interested in serving others if it was advantageous to him. I just ask, is that true service? Is that true service? We see him just backing out. When it cost him something, he just backed out. It's not part of my plan. Man was interested in himself. Isn't this such a great warning to us? I think the author is trying to draw our attention to that. He's trying to show us that, look, this man is not somebody to be emulated. I'm not even going to give you his name. I'm not even going to give you his name. I, I, he's not worth emulating. He's no true redeemer. And he's no true redeemer because this man is only concerned about himself. He's concerned with his own interests. He's concerned with his own inheritance. We could say he's concerned with making a name for his self. That's the great irony, isn't it? That's the great reversal. That's what he sought in life, to make a name for himself. We don't even know his name. His name's not even listed. He's seeking to have an inheritance. Look at the inheritance that's going to come through Boaz in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see that great reversal. This man is seeking for the things of this world. He's seeking to save his life as it were. Oh, and he just loses it. Oh, how God's word calls out to us, I think in kind of an Old Testament way to what Jesus is saying there in Luke. This is a warning. It's a warning for us to lose our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. And the promise is you will save it. That's how you save your life. It's by losing your life and following after Jesus Christ. I think we need to be warned also to not, not have a sort of what's in it for me mentality in ministry, in doing for others. Not, not to kind of slip into, well, I'll minister to things that are good for me. When I have time, minister to people, people that I like, what makes me feel good, I'll minister to that. If I can put something up on social media, I'll get a bunch of likes for it. I'll be seen as a good person. It'll be great. It'll be good. It's a win-win. I'll be seen to be really nice. I'll do something good. And then something pops up that, oh, oh, you, you want me to minister t with this person? Uh, that, you want me to enter into that? And it begins to get costly. And the temptation for us is to pull back is to pull back. Scripture calls on us to not be like that. Scripture calls on us to love in a way that is costly and costly towards us and to give of ourselves. There are many worthy causes for us to be a part of. Just in, in a small subset of application, and we're kind of way down the line here on the points of application. But, but I'm just so thankful to see even this season of uh, uh, giving that we are in as a church. 
for people sacrificing in their lives to give for us to have a permanent facility here and all that that entails as we've gone through putting down roots and all of those things. I just, I just wanna say what a wonderful thing for us to get behind in a costly way. And those of you that have given costly towards that, just God's blessings on you for, for seeing that and putting your shoulders behind that, even things that are financially costly for us to get involved in. Hey, the kingdom of God is a good thing to invest in. I know that's just a small subset. There's all other applications of this and bigger things, but that's a part of it. I pray that we would be that type a follower of Christ who would lean in in our serving even when it gets costly. We see that great reversal at work in this passage between Boaz and whatever his name is. Third thing we see here, God's grace knows no bounds. God's grace knows no bounds. In this passage, we see a foreigner, Ruth, receiving a redemption from a man of God in Israel. Ruth was born by ethnicity a Moabite. But I think we just say in biblical language, she has become a true Jew by faith. And that is exactly what God does. That's what our Redeemer does. He takes people that are outside of the family of God and he makes them family. He takes people that are far away from him and he brings them close. He takes people who had no hope and he gives them hope through Jesus Christ. He takes people who are on their way to hell and eternal punishment and he gives them a new destination of paradise for eternity. You see, God's grace has no borders. God's grace reaches out to the farthest, farthest center of a foreign place and through the Redeemer's love brings them close. People like you, people like me and countless others, God's redeeming love knows no bounds. We see a picture of that over and over in this book of Ruth. One commentator, in fact, has noticed that the book of Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament canon named after a non-Israelite by birth. Only book in the Old Testament canon. What we see here is a picture of God bringing the outsider in and praise his glorious name for bringing those of us who were far in dead and trespasses and sins by his grace close and adopted us into his family. God's grace knows no bounds. Lastly, we see here that Jesus is our great redeemer. Boaz is a picture of a little r redeemer in this book and the act that he does in considering others and his love and, love and obedience to God and his care and concern for others. Boaz sought a costly redemption in this book. But oh, how that pictures a forthcoming redemption from their standpoint of the big redeemer, Jesus Christ. 
Redemption, as we've seen, is a costly business. And we know that God did not spare his only begotten son to come into this earth to suffer and to die on the cross to redeem us. God has showed his love for us in that while we were weak and sinful, Jesus Christ came to redeem and save us. That is love. That is redemption. Oh, what a redeemer we have through Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of a couple of passages from the New Testament. Ephesians 1, 7. In him that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.14, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Our Christ has come to redeem us. Our greatest problem in this life is not that we are like Ruth and we are a widow and we're having to sell land and we have no offspring and so we are sent a redeemer. No, our greatest problem, brothers and sisters, is that we are dead in trespasses and sins and there's nothing we can do about it to bring ourselves out of it. There's no price we could pay to enter into the forgiveness of sins. But Christ has come as our redeemer to do just that for us, what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus is our redeemer who has saved us from our sins. We'll get to see a glimpse in the verses before us next week of that connection with this beautiful passage and with this book as we end our series. But let us revel in the truth today of what Christ has done for us. And let us confirm in our own lives and secure in our own lives to say, I want to seek to live in a worthy manner, to be a worthy man, to be a worthy woman following after my Redeemer that same grace that we've received, let that show itself in how we live towards others. Will you join me in prayer?